Pastor Drew asked me about what I was going to talk about today, what was on my heart was mercy. And so I came up with this cool visual, and, and I, just, I just love what it looks like. Because what is mercy, right? It's something that you hand off to somebody else. You can see that he's, you're handing this mercy card. And so when you look at those three words, you can say them in a lot of different ways. If you're kind of a grumpy pants, you can say, what about mercy? Or you can be inquisitive like you're going to be, you know, put in a farming squad. So what about mercy? <laughs> or the way I want it to be read is when I'm in a situation that's troubling, I can say, well, what about mercy? It's about mercy. Put the emphasis on the last word. So let's go to Matthew 5, verse 7. Um, those of you who <clears throat> know me know that this isn't my Bible. My Bible would be dangerous up here. It might get dropped and all kinds of things bad could happen. So I have a, a wonderful borrowed Bible reading out of the King James Version. And this is, you know, chapter 5 is about the Sermon on the Mount. We call these the Beatitudes. But I want to read from verse 7. Matthew 5, verse 7. Very familiar piece of scripture. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, our Bible is our, our rule book. It's the thing that gives us everything we need to know. Uh, so if we stay in this book, we can stay in a lot of great things and stay out of a lot of trouble. From the Old Testament, I just, I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. I've written them down so you won't have to run around in the Bible a lot, but but feel free to do that. This is where the power is. It's in this book and through the Holy Spirit that's in here. Proverbs 11:17 says, The merciful man does good to his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. There are lots and lots of scriptures. We're not going to read all of them today, but we're going to get to a lot of them. So as I was thinking about mercy... I was realizing that, you know, most of us are very good at overlooking the times that we fail to give mercy to other folks. But it is amazing how well we remember those times that we wanted mercy or were insulted, but we did not receive it from others. Mercy can be one of those rare things that are hard to find. So we can start off by, let's give it a definition. What exactly is mercy? Well, you can go out to the dictionary. Webster's Dictionary has three meanings. One is refraining from harming offenders, or it's compassionate treatment for those in distress. Or third, it's a blessing that is an act of divine favor or compassion. The Oxford's Dictionary puts it this way. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown to someone when it is within your own power or authority to punish them. It's all about what do we deserve and what do we get. Mercy is kind of forgetting the deserve part, okay? So there you have it. Mercy is choosing. It's a choice. We can control this. To not use the rights that we have in order to bless someone else. We have the authority to potentially punish someone, make them pay for what they did to me, or we can look at it in a different viewpoint. Mercy is about not giving to another what they deserve. That's the whole point. We deserve something or we wouldn't need mercy, right? Our culture is obsessed with getting all that we deserve. I'm sure if you watch TV, 
I get a kick out of those commercials about dial the phone to check your zip code. It's amazing how we don't know our zip codes anymore. That's my little inside joke. Because you might get money back from your Medicare, right? But in every one of those commercials, they say, I called to get everything I deserve. We're just a, a society that wants everything they deserve. Well, I'll let you know. I, for one, don't want all I deserve, okay? Um, it might not be good for me. So I am a sinner who is thankful for a God who chose to give me mercy. You see, mercy demonstrates God's grace in action. It, it puts the needs of others before your own need for vengeance, especially when you remember that offering mercy usually comes in the face of some personal sacrifice because, again, I was wronged. How can I not get retribution? So I have to choose to give up that, that, that right of mine to, to get that vengeance and offer up that mercy card. That is why I want to try to live a life that when placed in this type of situation, I always ask the question, meanness or what about mercy? It's always at my disposal. We, we control this. I can, I'm sure we all can remember a time that we asked for mercy or compassion from another and we didn't get it, okay? And that oftentimes creates an escalation of something that we're often not proud of when we're done. It can be very painful and we may have a hard time forgiving and forgetting people. That's just kind of how we're wired. But when the Lord's in there, hopefully we can do some rewiring. He'll do the rewiring for us. In those situations, instead of becoming bitter, I think we need to be thankful and remember what God has done for us. If we think about it from that perspective, then I think it changes our whole motivation and it'll keep us in a much more calm, level plane. God's mercy is a wonderful part of his character. In Psalm 145, verses 8 to 9, we read, The Lord is gracious, and he's full of compassion. He's slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are all over his works. You see, mercy is all through the Bible. Those of you, I'm sure, you have these big books called a concordance, and you can go out and look for a word and see where to find it in the Bible. Well, when I did that with our concordance at home, there's almost 400 entries of mercy. And in the next three and a half hours, we're going to read all, every single one of them. <laughs> okay, we'll read 397 of them. Um, I was joking with Miss, Miss Kate about what her timing is in the morning with the kids, and she says 11 o'clock is about snack time. I said, well, you might want to move that to 1040. So <laughs> anyway, we're going to have some fun this morning. Thank you for being lighthearted. That's what this is. God is awesome. He needs to keep us light because that's where the joy is. So I was looking through our concordance at some of these verses, and here are just a few of the things I kind of wanted to dance around in the Bible because it's all throughout. God's mercy is great. We sang about that. 1 Peter 1.3. God's mercy is abundant. Psalms 86, verse 15. God's mercy is tender. Luke 1.78. God's mercy is everlasting. Woo! Psalms 103.17. And God is the father of all mercies. 2 Corinthians 1.3. We have all made mistakes and needed God's mercy. The Bible has numerous examples of God providing mercy. And one of our heroes in the Bible comes to mind quickly, King David. He was a great man of God. 
but he did some things that he needed mercy over. The whole Bathsheba scenario was kind of bad, and we use that as an example of how even a great man of God, one who has God as a man after God's own heart, it's written in there, God loved him, still can fail and still needs mercy. And God did provide that to him. Later on in the book of, of 2 Samuel, chapter 24, David was going to go into a battle. And as you know, the Lord provided so many times in his battles and gave him these great victories. But he decided this time he was going to go count how many men did he have to fight. And his motive was bad. It's like he was going to take credit. Okay, I'm the big king. I'm going to go count and see how many men I have so I can go take on this army. And God wasn't real impressed. Okay? The cool thing is, though, David knew he had sinned. He knew he was wrong. And when he asked for mercy, after time, God did provide that. So, again, the Bible is full of examples. And just think of the times in our lives when we justifiably deserve something and we didn't get it. The thing is, I'm afraid we often take advantage of God's mercy. We know to do one thing. And we choose to do the other because, you know, God's loving and merciful, and he'll, he'll take care of that. It'll be okay. I just think that that is, is dangerous because our wonderful Heavenly Father is holy, and therefore he is under absolutely no obligation to offer or provide us mercy for anything. But yet he still does. So that makes me all the more not want to take advantage of that. As parents, when our kids work on us and try to pull us in a way because ah, it'll be okay. Dad or mom, they'll forgive me. Boy, that's just not, not what we want. You know, we are the ones who did the sinning, okay? We don't deserve the mercy. But, you know, the heart of our Heavenly Father is he'd really rather we repent. Say, Lord, Father, I'm sorry. I screwed that up. I had a bad motive. I had a mean spirit. I apologize. And when we do that, See how we change the whole story, how now we're back in a good position that the Lord can give us some mercy. Again, just like as a parent, when that child is before you knowing they screwed up with a remorseful heart, aren't you way more likely to say, it's okay. That three-year grounding I was going to give you is now only two weeks. You're okay. <laughs> so I think as part of this whole process, we must continually strive to understand the character of God. We can't do this by trying to shape him into our image of him. That's what we all love to do. We want God to do this or be this or be that. Well, that's not our Heavenly Father. That's, we, gotta, we need to accept and honor and love him for who he is and who he has revealed himself to us in the Holy Scripture. If you read this book, you'll find out what his character is. You'll find out what he values how he treats people and things. We've got to understand God's character. And I believe this process starts by fully understanding and admitting how sinful we are and how far we really fall short of God's perfection. This isn't meant to be a downer. This is all glory because he's given us all this wonderful attributes and, and praise. But we just have to remember who we are. We're his and who we were before we got drug out of the dirt, okay? And even though he knows our motives and how 
wicked we can truly be. He offers us the mercy. I wrote down, I really, really, really appreciate God's patience. Because, boy, do I need it. So I went back to that, ask or demand all that I deserve. I wrote down, are you kidding me? I don't think so. No, thank you. Instead, Lord, what about mercy? We serve and love a holy God, a just God, one who still offers us mercy. I want to take us back in the Bible very early to Exodus 25. Back in Exodus 25, they're trying to set up the tabernacle. The, you know, they, they were wanderers, didn't have a big permanent building back in those days. But they, there's a part of the tabernacle that they brought along into the temple when it was built that I think is so cool. You see, in the tabernacle, there's this container. It's called the, alt, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. It's this beautiful gold box. And that box, that container, was built to hold the Ten Commandments, the two tablets that had the Ten Commandments that the God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. So you have this container that has the law in it. All right? Well, on top of that container is the lid. But the lid has kind of a cool name. If you've ever seen this, and I should have had a, vid, a visual of this, but it's got these cherubim that have these wings, and they, they kind of go back over the box. It's just really elegant, really beautiful. That lid, that spot, is called the mercy seat. So, God is holy, and he needs to punish sin. So in the Old Testament, we would have taken some innocent animal, talked about this in Leviticus 16, and we would have sprinkled the blood of that animal on that mercy seat. Justice had been met. Well, at least temporarily. But when you think about that mercy seat, here you have this box of the law, Ten Commandments. We can't, we can't keep that. You know, we try. We're human. We screw it up. And you have a holy God. And even way back then, from the beginning, in the middle between the law and God was the mercy seat, protection, if you will, that could appease God. Of course, now in the New Testament, in our modern world, we have Jesus, the ultimate permanent mercy seat. Shouldn't we say hallelujah for that? Isn't that awesome? But all the time. God's been trying to provide a way that we can have mercy. In the book of Habakkuk 3.2, I even said it, yay. Um, there is a prayer called the prophet's prayer. And God gets mad. Sometimes, you know, um, these prophets are asking God to not do things. And there's this prophet's prayer. And here again, 3.2 says at the end of that prayer, the prophet's appealing to, to the father, in wrath, remember mercy. Because so many times when we're in wrath, mercy is the last thing we want to think about. And that's when we need to think about it the most. We get our, our, our water worked up for all kinds of crazy things, and we just we can go off the deep end quickly. So when we're getting angry for something, we'd be wise to ask ourselves, well, what about mercy? 
Ephesians 2.4 says, God, being rich in mercy because of his great love. That's his huge attribute. That's his huge character quality. He gives us mercy because he loves us so much. He'd rather we all choose his son and be born again versus perish. He just loves us. And if we walk in love, then look how it can change everything. Hebrews 8.12 states, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. How awesome is that? Titus 3.5 says, he saved us, not by our righteousness, but according to his mercy. So because God's character of love and mercy, we can be offered this, something we don't deserve. I don't know if you've ever had to make decisions and you make a pro-con sheet, you know, these are the good things and these are the bad things. Well, sometimes you can look at things like mercy that way. What do I deserve? What do I get? Well, my bad behavior deserves condemnation. But when I put my faith in Jesus, I ask for forgiveness. I receive justification in the Father's eyes. When I behave poorly, I deserve shame. But because of Jesus, I can be lifted up and I can receive glory by asking for that forgiveness. What I deserve is hell. But when I give my life to the Lord, I receive heaven. It's a pretty good trade-off. So I think we need to praise him and worship him, give him thanks. And how can we then not show mercy to others? We need to forgive and be patient with others and extend that mercy. James 2.13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. That mercy triumphs over judgment. When you have no mercy, judgment can get big in a hurry. In a similar vein, the Puritan Thomas Adams said, He that demands mercy and shows none will ruin the bridge over which he himself must pass. You know, if we're going to get and be, uh, be expected to stand in front of the Lord, we need mercy. And so I can't burn the bridge by not showing it to others and expect it to be there when I need it. Because, trust me, Scott's going to need mercy daily. I'll leave it there. You know, it takes no grace or, or no great valor or great strength to condemn others. But it's so easy to do, to make that choice. So let's take the higher road and not choose that choice. It's easy to give up and try not to be helpful. It's even easy to ignore how my actions can adversely affect others. We can choose to be harsh and arrogant. Sometimes we're way better suited to be Pharisees than Good Samaritans. So I believe we can stand for truth, though. We are to stand for truth. We're not, it's not like, like it's a path that we ignore all the wrongs. We want to do everything in our power to help people do right. All right? God is truth. And so our standards of our own lives need to be uncompromising. We have to do whatever is in our power to do God's truth. But we need to remember that the God of truth has called us to the priority of loving first. That God has primarily called us to humility, self-sacrifice, and concern for others first. Remember that in Luke 
22, 23, 24, it is written. That is way in the back of Luke. Jesus is about to be crucified. And what did he do? He asked the Father to forgive them. Father trying to shed his blood. It just just killed me. (laughs) That our Savior, though he had all that power and could have done anything to them he wanted, he said, Father, please forgive them. They know not what they do. That's that's mercy. I want to regale a tale, if you will, from our American history. I, I, I get emotional when I get into my own personal stuff, so I'm going to stay away from that if I can. But our American history has a really unique story in it that the more you know about it, the more it kind of is amazing. You know, the pilgrims, they came here to Plymouth in what's now Massachusetts in December of 1620. And, you know, they were trying to come to a land that they could worship freely, that they didn't have a bunch of church rules, because let's face it, there's lots of churches go back to the 1600s, and they all have their own rules. And these churches were, were trying to vie for power, and they had absolute control over people. And it was making things complicated. So they wanted to come to a land that they could worship God uh, in their own way. And 102 of these brave people started across the ocean. Well, thankfully, only one of them perished. You know, that's a kind of a crazy voyage on a, a little wooden boat with sails. Um, so that they got here okay, but it was a very rough winter, as you know. Um, half of them, 51, perished that first winter. But there was a Native American in the area. We called him Squanto. His real name is, I was going to get this right, Tisquantum. But the point is, he spoke English. Did you know that? This Native American shows up and he can talk to us. He speaks English. Well, that's got to have a story behind it, right? How does he know English? Well, because five years earlier, he was kidnapped by an English sea captain and drugged back to Europe. While he was on the boat, he learned to speak English. That's what they were all speaking, so he learned to communicate in our language. Through a course of events, by 1619, he made his way back on another boat to his homeland. So when we showed up a year later, here are more of these people arriving in wooden boats to my home. He was stuck with a question. You don't really think that those Indians could have wiped out those programs in about three minutes? Really? They could have, simply. But he didn't. He chose to not operate in wrath after how he was treated, but to use what he had in him the ability to talk to us, and he helped them. He, he was their interpreter. He showed them where to catch the fish. He showed them how to plant things that would actually grow. You know, they brought all these seeds, but they failed miserably. Um, he showed them how to cultivate and how to make seeds grow. In the Pilgrim Dialogues, he was considered, quote, a special instrument sent of God for our good. And how did he get there? Because he endured a bunch of nonsense that drug him away so he could learn English. It just boggles me how all these things sometimes can work. And he still chose to be merciful. He helped us. And because of that, 
we, we get to live in America. You know, I, I think it's just, just amazing. Okay, well, Jesus showed us mercy by coming to the earth. So as I see it, us offering mercy is just part of who we are as Christians. It's an attribute that God expects of us people to be that, that shining light. It means being charitable or beneficial to others. We get to choose or show compassion to help those who are helpless and to care for others by reaching out to the hurting. Of course, we need to do this because of our hearts are being full of love, not some guilt thing. We also need to do it so that we're not trying to impress anybody. We don't want to shout it from the rooftops. It's not about us. It's about what's in us. It's not about self-promotion. If we have this unpure attitude, look what I've done, well, we've probably missed the whole point, and we have our own reward already. Jesus wants us, us to love everyone and expect nothing in, the, in return. Of course, he is our ultimate example. Jesus healed the lame, the blind, the deaf, and the sick. He forgave and offered forgiveness to prostitutes, tax collectors, drunkards, and sinners like me. And what did he get in return? Crucifixion. Talk about not getting anything back. But he still offered all that to all of us. It's just amazing. We remember our founding scripture, Matthew 5, 7. When you show mercy, you will receive mercy. Maybe not from people, but from God. Isn't that where it matters? God can do this because he pours out his blessings to us. And I think that you'll also find that's where the great joy is. That's where the happiness, when we can actually watch a life get better versus being worse because we chose to love and offer mercy or we could have torn them down. There's a portion of scripture in Matthew 25, 31 to 46. I'm going to have us turn there if you would like. It's a story of the sheep and the goats. I always like this story because of what it really stands for. Matthew 25, 31 to 40. Matthew 25, 31 to 40. It's written that when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. That his is important. Shepherd knows whose is his. So does the Lord. And he will set the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before or from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer to him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and take you in? Or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? 
See, they weren't seeing what he was trying to say until here at the end. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, or my family, my loved ones, you did it to me. And what I always loved about this story, even from a young teenage kid, is I wanted to be like these sheep because they were found doing wonderful things because they wanted to. Not because they were trying to be noticed, but because they had this huge heart full of love and mercy for God's people. Remember, they weren't even sure why he was even talking to them about it. When did I ever do it for you? Well, he didn't do it for me, but he did it for them, and that is me. And how cool is that? Let, let's be found doing, doing the, the good. So you can see the attitude is such a strong piece of this. It's what, what's our motive? What is that driving force? And of all the things in my life that I need to control and that I probably can control, it's my attitude. But how many times do we let our attitudes get the best of us? How many times do we say, uh-oh, that was wrong. You know what? You're having a bad day. Your attitude just isn't where it should be. We need to be quick to forgive and not hold grudges. We need to not look for faults or failures in others, but try to look for the good in every situation. You know, we all make mistakes and need building up, not tearing down. The enemy of our souls and the world, they're really good at tearing people down. Hopefully we can be the other side. And we spend our time building them up, patching up those wounds, helping a life. This applies to our spiritual lives as well. Do we really have a heart for the lost? Do we pray for others in times of need? I hope we're never like the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. Because we are like him. We owed an impossible debt. Couldn't possibly repay it. But he was given mercy. It was forgiven. And, of course, he screwed it up by going around and not providing mercy to someone else. Ultimate failure. Let's not be like him. Jesus has given us that incredible mercy. I'm just about done. Jesus might ask, Jesus might ask, you might ask, <clears throat> isn't there some kind of a tension, though, between we know what's right, they know what's right. Can you give too much mercy? Can you, can you not hold people accountable? Again, I, I, I think in my life I can only account for me. I can try to do the best I can, and therefore when I knowingly make mistakes, that's a problem. And I need to be quick to repent, get on my knees, and ask for forgiveness. But I don't really usually know the other person's motive. I don't know what is in their life. Often I don't even know if they know the Lord. And so I believe that, again, we all have personal responsibilities. Don't take advantage of God's mercy. But when we're trying to hand off that card, see how we kind of change the rules a little bit? If I'm going to be wrong, this is my life philosophy might not be right. Here's my life lesson. I'm going to be wrong. Let me err on the side of being too gracious, being too merciful, being too forgiving versus being too self-righteous, too proud, or too judgmental. We can do a lot more good with the first half. So as I finish up, I'll have the worship team come on back up. I just want to encourage all of us to ask, what about mercy when we have the opportunity, when we can bless a life and make a difference for good versus tearing them down? Let's be that lifter-upper. <laughs>
for that's a word somewhere. Um, let's do what we can to love on people. Um, I think it's just a better way of looking at, at life and our happiness and how we approach everyday experiences and relationships as we try to live the example that Jesus has set before us. And so as I do finish, I've got this list of, of um, things I wrote down that I don't know what's on your refrigerator. We've got a lot of things in our refrigerator, but I'm going to maybe put this on our refrigerator, Amy. And it's a list of things that I want to work on. So I'm just going to tell you what my list is, and maybe there are things that might uh, spark things that you might think about in your lives. My first one is I'm going to try and be patient with other people's quirks. We all have an Uncle Louie that has a quirk, right? We don't have quirks. Well, I know me, and you know me, and therefore you know I have quirks. <laughs> so I'm going to try and not let other people's little idiosyncrasies bother me because they might be what I'm supposed to uh, learn from, those quirks. I want to try and help others around me who are hurting because oftentimes I fear that I don't see the people that are hurting. If I think that there aren't people around me that are hurting, I must not be looking very hard. There's a lot of hurting people. We don't have to have to go very far to find them. I want to give people second chances or third chances or fourth chances, or as Joe reminded us on Wednesday, seven times 70 chances. That's a lot of chances. We've got to be, be a little, little easier on people. I want to try and be good to those who hurt me. Well, we get hurt. People say mean things. But how do we counteract that? We forgive them. We just let it out of our heart. We, we don't hold the grudge. I want to be as good at forgiving as I possibly can be. And I want to be kind to those who offend me. Nobody ever gets offended, right? It's hard to watch anything on TV anymore without being offended because the things that I value and the things that are on TV are... Ugh. Politicians can offend you. You just want to go and... Ugh. So, so how can I... How can I work with that? Well, I have that one ultimate card. I can pray for them. I can pray that the Lord gets in their heart, changes their perspective, lets them see what he wants them to do and say and how to you know, conduct their own lives. I want to try to build bridges of love to the unpopular. We've all been places, especially if we roll the clock back far enough. There's that kid sitting alone at the lunch table. Don't think that person could maybe use a little love, a little encouragement. We, sh we should be the ones that are offering that unconditional, it's okay. You're loved. You're, you're good. We have opportunities to find those hurting people. And I always want to try and value the relationship over some rule that I think they've broken. It's easy to say, I can't talk to you because you broke the rule. You're just, I'm not convinced that this is what this wants me to do. It's pretty tough to get into someone's life and show them the goodness that Jesus can offer them if all I am is beating them over the head with rules. Rules are important. God's holy. We need to be as holy as we can be. But to love others, we've got to value that relationship first, and God can come along and help us work on the rules second. So bottom line, let us shine for Jesus. Let us be and show mercy. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. 
If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.